Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ramblin' Rev. My name is Scott Dalen. I'm an ELCA pastor in Southwest Iowa and I produce these episodes periodically. Try to do them weekly, but that doesn't always happen for a couple different reasons. The first of which is to move my brain out of the motor background work over the course of the week and begin to prepare the sermon that I will preach to my congregation for the weekend. That is the first and the second is just to allow you, the listener who has graciously given of your time to come by and listen to me ramble for a while to gain some insight into the assigned text for the week. So that is why I do these. This particular Sunday, as we get back to it again, which is June 14th, 2020, the second Sunday After Pentecost, we are into the long, long, long season of Pentecost, which will last us all the way into November, longest period of single church season in the liturgical calendar, all that stuff. But I'm getting off topic as I think about the season of Pentecost. Let's think about the scripture. Uh, We are in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through chapter 10, verse 8. So that is kind of where we are at. There's a couple of different things going on here. As we think about the season of Pentecost, I guess that is important to consider. The season of Pentecost is one in which we really look at the growth of the church, and there are themes that emerge throughout the course of it. Now here, right at the beginning of the season itself, we are looking at the growth of the earliest church, and some of the thematic materials that we'll get into there come about with the charge that Jesus places upon the earliest church. Uh, Last week, which was Holy Trinity Sunday and the first Sunday after Pentecost, the assigned gospel text was actually the Great Commission out of Matthew, though I did not preach on it. I preached out of the Old Testament lesson. But uh, that in which the resurrected Jesus gives the disciples the charge to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Here we have a little bit different charge. We actually have Jesus uh, charge upon the, the 12. In fact, this is the port the portion of Matthew's gospel where the 12 disciples or apostles as they're actually called here are named and that's kind of what we have but we also have um, a different sensibility in which Jesus charges them to join in the ministry that he's already doing and we're only about midway through the the gospel here actually not even midway through the gospel yet and it's still somewhat early on in his ministry but with that you know I've been talking for a couple of minutes about it how about we read it and we can talk some more about it so again uh, Matthew 9 verses 35 through 10, verse 8. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out the demons. You receive without payment, give without payment. All right, so that's the passage. Now, in certain situations, you can actually extend out um, over the course of about the next 10 10 or 12 verses and include those as well. Uh, I'm choosing not to do that because this is kind of enough on its own. And again, there's quite a bit going on here. So as I mentioned already, Jesus is in the midst of his ministry, and his ministry is itinerant, 
we hear that he's traveling around into the synagogues and uh, proclaiming and preaching in the cities and the villages. And that is ongoing. We've heard about this before. We heard about this actually very early on in his ministry. So it appears that he is still taking the same tactics. And as he goes, he's proclaiming the good news. He is curing every disease, every sickness, uh, and he has compassion on the crowds. That's something that, that's one of, of several different spots that kind of really catch my attention in this passage as I begin to think about, or as I, I should say, as I continue thinking about the sermon that will emerge from this, the message that will emerge. So Jesus sees the crowds and he has compassion on them for they are like sheep without a shepherd. Well, that is a reference right there back to the leadership of the nation of Israel or the nation of Judah, um, kind of whichever word that we want to give to it. The the shepherds were the names given to the kings or the the metaphor about the kings, that they are the shepherds for the, the flock of God or for the, the sheep of, for God's the sheep of God's pasture, which is is a allusion to um, to Israel and uh, that that statement from the the Hebrew scriptures, and that's that's interesting to think about the leadership at, at the time. It definitely would have ruffled some feathers in terms of the leadership. If we think from the political spectrum, of course they're they're ruled by the Romans at this point. But if we think from the religious the religious standpoint, well, that's that's going to cause some some tension as well. But uh, but we think about that. So apparently there is a a failure of of leadership that Jesus is is seeing within them, and they are harassed and helpless. I've I've talked before about sheep that you know I've never raised sheep even though I was a farm kid but I was around sheep and and I don't tend to think of sheep as being the smartest animals and I wonder does a sheep know that it's helpless does a sheep know that it's that it's in danger maybe maybe not I mean I don't know I don't understand how the mind of a sheep works but that they are harassed and helpless that they are bothered that they are edgy that something is wrong even if they don't know quite what and that seems quite timely for given our current state of of events and things that are going on i think that the people of our society and the, and certainly many many people um from within our for, from within the body of christ are feeling that tension now because of the way that um, they exist within a society that perhaps does not see them with value. And, and that's that's certainly timely for us. And I think in one way or another, perhaps we're all feeling this this sense of, of edginess uh, in, in from one sense or another, and I'm not saying one's more important than any other, but uh, between the, our, be, between things going on, of the the pandemic and things going on in terms of race relations and uh, uh, things of that nature right now, um, there's certainly a lot in the air that that speaks to that. That's one little thing that that I think about. But then Jesus talks about the or we hear about the ministry that Jesus is doing, and it's important that that gets pointed out because then he calls the twelve disciples uh, apostles, as they're called here. And remember, apostle uh, literally means one who is sent by God, and this is the only time in the entirety of Matthew's gospel that the word apostle is used. And they are literally being sent, even though, ironically, we never actually hear them being sent in Matthew. Uh, we hear about that in in Mark and in Luke, but uh, but we never really hear about it here in Matthew. But, but they are charged with the exact same mission that Jesus is already up to. It's almost verbatim. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to cure every disease and every sickness. 
proclaim the good news the kingdom of heaven is near cure the sick raise the dead cleanse the lepers cast out demons uh, these are the instructions that jesus gives them and i think it's worth noting that his mission is ongoing and he's inviting them or he's giving them his authority to participate in that same that same mission that same ministry that he is a part of now and i mentioned earlier on that things are a little bit different than what we see in terms of the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's gospel with the resurrected Lord when they are sent to all nations. Here, Jesus seems to limit it to the lost sheep of the, the house of Israel. So it seems to be the the Jewish culture is Jesus' intention and, and who he is sending the, the apostles to. And honestly, I, I don't really know what to make of that other than maybe it's the idea that it's in the resurrection that Jesus begins to draw all the world to him and that's why the mission is slightly different at the end of the gospel as opposed to here that's that's speculation i'm not i mean don't take that as gospel as i'm saying that or take that as 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 the right answer that's just kind of what i i sort of have in my head at the moment but but that's one thought that i've had as i think about this but uh as we move on to so then we go into the other little aspect here that that is important that catches my attention is the naming of the the 12 apostles now in almost every single list that we have in the different gospels the names are a little different so that raises the question of uh, what did the identity of the, the the core 12 did that change over time depending on which each gospel was recorded did they have different names is were some of the names just sort of lost or mixed up or and we don't know but but think about the different people who are listed here and the one that really jumped at me uh, was at first Judas, because Judas is empowered and included in the ministry anyway, even though he's identified as the one who would ultimately betray Jesus. That was my first thought. Then I sort of zeroed in on Simon. Typically, we call him Simon the Zealot. But in the translation that I read, as well as in the original Greek, he's called Simon the Canaanian. And I've read some different things because that really kind of caught my attention. It's like, wait a minute, Canaanian, as in Canaanite, as in the enemies of, of the Israelites going clear, 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 clear back to the earliest days when they were coming into the promised land and the ongoing enemy that, uh, you know, David and Goliath and that whole story, they, that was the Canaanites. Goliath was a Canaanite. The, uh, they were an ongoing enemy. Then they went back and forth. We hear about that through the book of Judges, that they were a constant hindrance or a constant enemy of the Israelites. And so my first thought was, wait a minute, if Simon's a Canaan, if Simon's a Canaanite, is he a Gentile, essentially, that has come into this group? And I didn't necessarily find traction on that thought, but more so that that he is a part that Canaanians were were the religious zealots, so they were actively working against the Roman occupation. And that's interesting to consider when we also think about Matthew, the tax collector, within the ranks of Jesus' disciples, we have someone who worked for the Romans and someone who's actively working against the Romans. And, and, and that's an interesting pairing. And then finally, as we come back around, think about the very first person who's listed. And, it's, and it, it literally says, first, we have Simon known as Peter. Peter would deny Jesus three times. And then we have this listing of, of people who, who took on different roles, had different things. We have these juxtaposition of people and their relationship to the Romans, and then we end up with Judas. So uh, we have this entire list of people who are named as apostles who are not perfect people. And, and that's something that I, I've talked about before, this idea that, that 
Jesus does not call perfect people, which is a good thing, or God does not call perfect people, which is a good thing, because if God only called perfect people, none of us would be called. And we are, we are flawed. We are, are sinful. We are broken. But above all of that, one of the other things that I've had in my head, and it's not so much from this particular statement or this particular passage, but just rather something else that I've been pondering on, and actually even talked about a little bit in my sermon from last week, is that one of the things that we learn I think if we look all the way back and if we take the story of the scriptures as a whole and we consider the the order of of things that we we begin with God's creation the story of God's creation that's where Genesis starts and we have two stories of creation in which God calls us humanity calls humanity very good and calls all of hum, uh, calls all of creation good and then the pinnacle seems to be humanity and it's very good we are we are created bearing the divine image of God. Every member of humanity is a divine image bearer. And it's not until chapter three that we have the fall, that we have disobedience, that we have the brokenness enter into it. Now, I'm not denying that brokenness is a part of the human existence. Certainly it is. All we have to do is, is, is look at the world and look at our interactions with it. And yet, that's not where we start from. We start from a place of divine image of bearing the divine image and God's delight that is where our existence starts from and I think that's an important aspect for us to consider uh, especially in light of current events as we remember that we need to see one another and ourselves as beginning from a place that's good and that it's because of God's delight taken in us that God God chose to show grace and mercy and redemption through Christ by coming near to us. That, I believe, is what we take from the kingdom of heaven has come near, that God has chosen to come near to us, not despite our brokenness, but showing grace because of our brokenness out of the love and the joy that our existence starts from. And, and that's where I'm, I'm really drawn to throughout this whole situation is we have this listing of, of, of the apostles. Now, one critique I have is uh, there were women with them and we've already heard about the women with them and none of the women are named. So, grr, I'm kind of angry at the writer of Matthew because of that. But remembering the whole story, the story as a whole, who, who were the first people entrusted with the news of the resurrected Lord? The women were. And they are, and, and so remembering their names is important as well. And remembering that their place within the, the earliest body of Christ is also important. So that's a little critique. If I can offer a critique of scripture, perhaps that's dangerous, but hey, I offered it anyway. So that's a lot of the different things that I'm thinking about in terms of this passage. Uh, as I kind of move towards the sermon, uh, I hope that this has been helpful for you. I hope that you are having a great week and that this finds you well. Uh, I hope that you are staying safe, that you are staying healthy, and that you are keeping your eyes and your ears and your heart open to how you can be the light of God reflected in this world uh, where we all need one another and we need to be there and stand up for one another. So hope that you are doing well. We will catch you next time.